Father, we want to lift up right now our country, the United States of America. We know it's a special place. We know we're at a crossroads. We know we're on the heels of an important election, and there's a lot of division and confusion in this country, but your church is alive and well. And we do need, Lord, um, revival, though, in the church, we would all admit. We need a great awakening. We need revival starting in the church, moving out into our nation. So, Lord, we're just going to ask for your mercy. We're going to ask for your forgiveness on our nation. We ask, uh, you know, Lord, I think it always starts with us. You say judgment begins in the house of God. So let us look at our own lives. Let us be people of prayer. We do pray that you would heal our land of division, of uh, spiritual apathy of so many things, Lord, that we need healing. And so we just, we just want to lift up the USA to you right now. Just pray that your mercies would fall on this nation and that we would truly be people who look to you to be our God and to be our Savior. We lift up the Bible Answer Show to you tonight, Lord. We just lay that at your feet. Your will be done. If you want us in that time slot, please make it happen. Whether you have to take us right to the last day, uh, we, we uh, were... were um, I guess we'll just say we're willing to take the ride with you, Lord, whatever you want to do. If you want someone else in that spot, we're just going to bow to your will. But we thank you for all the open doors you've given this fellowship. Thank you for the souls that were saved this last week in the malls and the schools and all the exciting things that are happening in this community. And this is not a huge congregation, but we are making a huge impact by your grace and by your power and for your glory. Tonight, as we study your word, Add and take away from what I've prepared, Lord. Let our hearts be in tune to your spirit. Speak to us, Lord, what you want us to hear tonight as we talk about uh, the stolen blessing and how your sovereignty is over all of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 27. We're going to tackle the whole chapter tonight. The stolen blessing. Now, if I was going to ask you as a student of Scripture to give me a theme verse, verse for the book of Genesis... I think that many of you would quote Genesis 1.1. You would say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, Genesis means beginnings. So when you study the book of Genesis, that's what it means. Genesis means beginnings or origin. But ultimately, the book of Genesis is a book about God. God is the beginner. So you could say the book of Genesis is about the beginner. It's about the one who made everything. It's about the one who started all of this. It's about the one who made us in his image. It's about the one who made marriage. It's the one about who made government. It's the one who created the church. He's the one that the book of Genesis is all about. And this particular section is another section that comes up about the sovereignty of God. It's a wonderful blessing that Pastor Chris picked that song because that is really the overarching theme of Genesis 27 is the sovereignty of God. When I talk about the sovereignty of God, I'm talking about that ultimately God is in charge. What God wants to get done, he will get done. Now within the framework of God's sovereignty, he certainly has chosen to give us free will. And theologians and people who study the Bible, you know, always wonder how far our free will stretches until finally the rubber band snaps back. <laughs> you know, John Corson used that illustration one time. He said, look, you have free will, but your free will can sometimes only go so far. You might ask Jonah about that, right, when you get to heaven. He ran from God, but his free will went only so far. And Corson used the illustration of a rubber band and if you're fighting God and you're pulling away from God's will, he'll let you go so far and the rubber band will tighten and tighten and tighten until, snap! You get snapped back into God's reality. That's what Genesis 27 is about. 
I want to suggest a second uh, theme verse for the book of Genesis. This is for your consideration. Just came to me as Pastor Chris was singing the song. So let's look at it together. It's Genesis 50. It's the last chapter of the book of Genesis. As an introduction, take a peek with me. Genesis 50, for your consideration. At least maybe a supplementary theme verse of the book about the beginnings or the book about God, the beginner. Look at Genesis 50. Let's just go back to verse 18. This is about Joseph and his brothers. Then his brothers also came, Genesis 50, verse 18, and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. The book of Genesis ends with a, what's been called the Old Testament equivalent to Romans 8.28. God works how many? All things together for good to those who love God and those who are what? Called according to his purpose. And many people have suggested that you have to take 8.28 with 8.29. That one of the things that God's doing from 8.28 to 8.29 in Romans is he's conforming us into the image of his son. That's the ultimate good he wants to do for us. So not everything that happens to us is good, but God has a way, here's the Greek word there, to synergistically, sunergeo, uh, when you see all things work together, the Greek word is sunergeo, where we get the English word synergism. God synergistically works all things together for good. He can take the broken pieces of our lives, the difficult situations, the tough spots, the head scratchers, the things that hurt our hearts, and still weave a tapestry, go back to Genesis 27, of good. That's how good God is. That's how majestic he is in his uh, sovereign ways. Now, this particular story is a story of intrigue. It's a story of manipulation. It's a story of deceit. And this is the messianic line. So everybody should be of good cheer. What I mean by that is that this is the line from which the Messiah comes, and it's a bunch of messed up people. And so we're going to totally be able to relate to Genesis 27, and the reason we'll be able to relate to Genesis 27 is because we're going to find ourselves in one of these characters, or maybe in all of them. And all God's people said, ouch. <laughs> now it came about, Genesis 27, 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called, hold on, my computer went off, <laughs> that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, and he said to him, here I am. Now it came about, this is uh, the beginning of a chapter in the book of Genesis. It came about, when you see something like that, it's kind of like in the course of time it came about. So we, we know something about Isaac. At this point, we know he's old. And what we know about this particular patriarch, you know, whenever you think about the founding of the Jewish nation, everybody talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's talked about a huge amount in the book of Genesis. We have uh, a ton of stuff about Jacob. We'll get a ton about Joseph. I think about 12 chapters on average each, give or take. But we only have a few chapters about Isaac, and Isaac was called the son of promise, and he lived the longest of all the patriarchs. So it wasn't because of his short life. 
Why is it that so little is written about this particular patriarch, Isaac? His name means laughter. He's the son of promise. He's taken up on Mount Moriah. They act out the gospel. What's up with Isaac? And some people have suggested that the reason that there's so little written about him is because he didn't do a whole lot. And I just want you to think about that for a second. There's a lot of people that appear to be people with promise. He's called the son of what? Promise. But they don't do a whole lot. And that should challenge all of us. You can have all the spiritual gifts. You can have all the, you know, they talk about athletes, athletes that have all this kind of promise and they have all this ability. But if it never comes out on the field, then it's kind of a waste. Now, that's a suggestion. That's conjecture. We don't know for sure. We know Isaac did some good things. In the last chapter, he certainly persevered. He kept digging the wells when the, uh, the people of the land kept stopping him up. He persevered. He certainly was a man that wanted to follow God. But Isaac had some problems. And one of the biggest things you're going to see in chapter 27 is Isaac fought the will of God. He favored one child over the other, and God had already told him that the older would serve the younger, but Isaac didn't want to get on board with God's will. And if you fight God's will, you're going to be in trouble. At some point, we all need to say, Lord, I surrender, even when I don't get it, even when it doesn't make sense to me, um, I surrender. Well, what we know in, in verse 1 is Isaac's old, and he calls his son Esau to him. Esau was the firstborn of the twins. Uh, his name means red. We know he was a hairy dude. We know he was an outdoorsman. We know he enjoyed the hunt. And we know that dad favored him. And so there was a relationship between this father and son. Some Bible scholars have said that they've made the suggestion at least that when you see that Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that it is certainly a physical reality. He has dimness of sight, but there's a spiritual principle beneath the reality of the physical. This is just in his case that he had problems seeing things spiritually. In other words, the suggestion's been made that his spiritual eyes were dim. How does one end up with a spiritual dimness? How do you end up not being able to see well? How do you end up a person with very little spiritual discernment, very little spiritual light? I tell you how you end up there. You don't open your eyes to the things of the Spirit. You don't take in the things of the Spirit. You don't put on your spiritual glasses. You don't end up, end up with spiritual 20-20. So when other people are seeing things and the Lord's speaking into their life and showing them things from the Word of God and you're not reading the Word and you're not praying and you're not involved in worship, it's not hard to figure out why some people are very, very dim spiritually speaking in fact in isaiah 6 10 when god called isaiah he said render the hearts of this people insensitive their ears dull and their eyes dim lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed and so there was a dimness uh, at least a suggestion of a spiritual dimness in his eyes and jesus said you know if your eye causes you to stumble, what should you do? Pluck it out. He said, first take the log out of your eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So there's a spiritual idea here about sight. And Isaac said, behold, verse 2, now I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. Well, join the party, Isaac. <laughs> 
I mean, nobody knows the day of their death, but, but Isaac is old at this point, so he's thinking, you know what, I, I need to make sure I get my affairs in order. Chuck Swindoll was talking about worldviews and how people talk a lot about worldviews and how your worldview helps you navigate life. And Swindoll said this, he goes, look, the question isn't whether you can live with your worldview. The question is whether you can die with it. The question is whether your worldview can take you to the next life in good standing with God. Amen? Because we don't know the day of our death. James says that. We don't know if we even have tomorrow. Now, Martin Luther calculated Isaac's age at this point, and he concluded, based upon his calculations, that Isaac is 137 years old at this point. That's old, but we know that ages kind of reduced as time went on, and people lived uh, longer lives than we do today. The average lifespan is probably about mid-80s these days. And uh, Luther calculated his age at 137, but we know this, that Isaac lived to 180. So for you mathematicians, he lived 43 more years. 43. And look, he had a moment where he thought he was dying, but he wasn't. Now, when I was little, I used to be a hypo, what do you call it, hypochondriac? And I, and I would say to my sister, we, we were in the same room when we were growing up, and I'd say, Michelle, do you ever get a pain right here? And she'd say, yes, yes, Michael. I, sometimes I get, Michelle, do you ever get a pain right here? She said, yes, Michael, sometimes I get a pain right here. Michelle, I was younger, do you ever get a pain right here? She would say, yes, go to sleep. So when I was about 10 years old, I was riding my bike down our street, no helmet on back in the day. They didn't worry much about those kinds of things. Your parents just basically said, go play now. <laughs> so I was riding down, down my street, and I got hit by a Volkswagen fastback. My sister said I did a triple flip with a half twist. I got a 10 from the Russian judge. It was awesome. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> And I uh, hit the windshield of the car and rolled off, and I was planted on the cement. And I had a huge bubble in my head, and it explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway, so... <laughs> but anyway, they, so I remember coming to, and, and I, I looked like this, and there was a whole circle around me. Everybody was looking back at me, and I looked at them, and they were looking at me. And they put me in the ambulance, and I kept saying to the ambulance driver, am I going to die? Am I going to die? Am I going to die? My sister was riding with me. Am I going to die? Kept saying it over and over again. And finally said, if you don't shut up, you are going to die. <laughs> so I didn't ask anymore. <laughs> well, all that to say, <laughs> Isaac thought he was about to die, but he wasn't. But he still called his son, and he wanted to give this blessing. He said, Behold, I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. And of course, he couldn't have known that he was going to live 43 more years. And so he says, Now, then, verse 3, Please take your gear, your, gear, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Nah, maybe this is the motivation. Son, I think I'm going to die. Could you make me? This is something you can use, parents. When you get older, I don't know when I'm going to die. Could you make me a steak? Could you take out the trash? I could die on the way to the... I'm sorry. Don't use that. That's, 
That's deceptive. Now look back, peek back in Genesis 25, 32. You're going to need real discernment tonight on what to hold on to. But anyway, Genesis 25, 32 says, Esau said, 25, 32, Behold, what? I'm about to die. So what use is that birthright to me? You know, we, we often say, like father, like son. Well, this is dad. Dad said it, and Esau said it, and Esau said it to the point where he gave away what? His birthright for a pot of stew or a little bowl of stew. What good is that to me? I don't know if some of you can relate to this, but I had some party days before I came to Christ, and one of my excuses for continuing to party was, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and it's probably all going to blow up anyway, so let's just party. That was my excuse, right? Everybody's messed up, and we might as well just join them. <laughs> well, that doesn't work really well. So he says, hey, go hunt, because I'm going to die, and, and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love. This does seem to be, back in 27.4, all about dad. And bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, I think this is certainly sincere. I think Isaac does want to bless his son, but unfortunately, he wants to give the blessing to the wrong child. What is he doing? You say, well, does he know, Pastor Michael? Yeah, he knows a prophecy has already been given in an earlier chapter when the twins are in the womb and Rebecca's wondering what in the world's going on. It feels like there's a boxing match inside my stomach. And she, she inquires of the Lord and the Lord says, there's two nations in, in there and they're battling and the older shall what? Serve the younger. The prophecy was already given. Much time has gone by. The boys have grown up. Dad already knows that the one who is going to be in the blessed position is Jacob. But he has a favorite, and his favorite is Esau. You might say, well, why does he have this favorite? Why, what's going on with dad and Esau? Well, chapter 25, verse 28, just take a peek back. Here's why he favored him. 25, 28 says, Isaac loved Esau because... 25, 28, he had a taste for game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. No more commentary on why she leaned towards him. But we know why dad leaned towards Esau. They related better. And Esau went out and hunted, and he, and he made good food. He was a good cook, and dad liked that. And so many, many people who, you know, if you read commentaries on Genesis, they're going to they're gonna say, well, this is really materialistic of Isaac. This is really about the flesh. This is about, yeah, he, he wanted to bless the son of his that he, he, maybe he liked more or he, he got along with better or whatever the case may be. But Hebrews 12, 16 warns us that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Dad already knew what he had done. Dad knew that he had sold the birthright to Jacob. Dad knew that Esau's priorities were wrong. He knew that Esau was a carnal man, and yet he still wanted to force this blessing and put him in the number one position again. And the sad thing is that Esau had already given that away. 
And so Isaac was basically materialistic, at least in this sense he was. He wanted to bless Esau, and he was opposing the will of God. It's like he saw the reality, but he also refused to see it. Not only did he see Esau's nature, but this oldest son had pained he and his wife. If you look at the end of the uh, last chapter, look at 26:34, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Besmith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they brought grief to who? Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac knew what this boy was about. He knew he was a man of the flesh. He knew that he wasn't supposed to marry Hittite women who were basically Canaanite women, but he did. He was a carnal, immoral man. That's what Hebrews 12, 16 says. He was a godless man. And Isaac knew that because moms and dads have a, have a pretty good sense of where their kids are. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, you're still carnal, you're fleshly. The word carnal means worldly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? 1 Corinthians 3.3 3. Are you not walking like mere men? And so... Isaac is forcing this, and God is going to be sovereign over it. And here's how this works out. 27.5, Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I've heard your father speak to your brother Esau. So she was listening, but she wasn't the only one listening. God was listening. And the reason she overheard the conversation is that tent walls are very thin. Amen? <laughs> but here's another thing. When you were going to give a formal blessing as a patriarch of the family, whether you were a father or a grandfather, custom said that you would bring the whole family in, whether it's children, grandchildren, the wives, everybody would come in and you would do a formal blessing. And the word to bless is barak in Hebrew, and it means literally the hand that covers it. It implies kneeling. It implies uh, giving a, a blessing to someone the best you can give to them. But by way of what Scripture teaches, the only way you can invoke a blessing that's going to have really any good to it is if you invoke who? God. God is the one from whom all blessings flow. And so, what Isaac was doing was trying to give a secret blessing. He was supposed to do this with a big uh, celebration, a big meal with all the family, all the kids, all the grandchildren. But he tried to secretly do it. He called Esau in secretly. Why? Because he knew he was up to no good. And this, this household, you're going to see, nobody trusts anybody in this household. This is the definition of dysfunction in the tent. In fact, they made a movie out of this house. It's called Dysfunction in the Tent. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't. But we could, right? Because everybody's hiding stuff from everybody. Hey, your dad just called your brother in. Hey. She overheard the conversation. You ever overhear a conversation? I just happened to overhear. <laughs> well, God's going to use that too. And she says, well, here's what he said, verse 7. He said, bring me some game and prepare a savory. That means a delicious or tasty dish for me that I may eat and bless you. And this blessing was the formal blessing, you know, uh, reserved, you could say, for the firstborn, but often God even upended that. 
in the presence of the Lord before my death. This is what he said. He said, look, I want to invoke the blessing of God. Now, Rebecca springs into action. She's speaking to Jacob, the younger of the two, and she says, therefore, my son, listen to me as I, what? Command you. Now, mom is involved. Look out when mom starts giving commands, right? You know, people, they think about this chapter and they say, Jacob, yeah, that's right. His name means conniver. He manipulated the situation, but hold on a minute. Rebecca was pretty involved. In fact, she's starting to give out commands. She's saying, hey, this is what we're going to do right now. Now listen up, boy. Go now to the flock. Bring me two choice kids from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Everybody knows what this guy loves. They know the way to his heart, right? Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, and behold, he said, Esau, verse 11, my brother is a hairy man, <laughs> and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I shall be a, as a deceiver in his sight, and I shall bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. Now, mom reassures him, and Jacob seems to be taking the high moral ground until you realize this is not his high moral character that's going on here, just so you know. That's not what this is about. Jacob is just concerned that he's going to be found out and get a curse instead of a blessing. He's already proven that he's willing to go to great lengths to get birthrights and blessings, right? He's already manipulated his brother when he was hungry and said, uh, first, uh, give me the birthright, then you get the stew, right? He's not this high moral character. He's just afraid of what's going to happen if dad finds out the plot. And it's mostly because he knows they're so different. He's smooth, the brother's hairy, and dad's going to know, even though his eyesight's not that great. And Rebecca says, then the curse be on me. And so he went out, verse 14, and he got them, and he brought them to his mother. His mother made a savory, savory food, such as his father loved. And Rebecca took the best garments of Esau. She went into the closet, man, found the Sabbath suit. Uh, of Esau, her elder son, which were uh, with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. She put the skins of the kids, I'm assuming the ones that were part of the meal, on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she also gave the savory fruit and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. Now, mom is busy, man. She found a costume for him, put it together. She made the meal. She said, let's come in here, we'll dress you up, we'll spritz a little uh, hunter's cologne on you, right? It's all happening right now. And so uh, Jacob is ready now. He's got the, the food, he's going to act like he's his brother Esau. And, you know, many writers have said the whole family acted shamefully here. So there's, there's really no good characters in it. But ultimately, remember, God is sovereign over the tent. So then he came to his father, verse 18. He said, my father, and he said, here I am. He said, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, lie number one, if you're taking notes, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. Being brothers, their voices probably sounded similar, but still dad had, you know, you can tell, right? Sometimes we try to fool my wife. We'll be on the phone uh, in the car, and I'll, and I'll tell one of my sons, act like you're me. My wife is never fooled. Their voices sound similar, but somehow she just knows, right? So anyway, she always sees through our little schemes. But anyway, he said, um, 
He said, oh, I'm Esau. And Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have, have it so quickly, my son? <laughs> this is the beginning of fast food. This is awesome, but, but I would like to know how did this happen so quick? You, you, you went on the hunt, you killed these things, you prepared everything. Man, you're fast. And he said, lie number two, because, oh, watch out when you do this, because the Lord, your God. Notice how Jacob uh, Acting as Esau calls the Lord Isaac's God. He says, the Lord, your God, caused it to happen to me. Hey, Dad, here's why. Just in case you wanted to know how presto magnifico or whatever you want to say. The food came so quick. I just made up a Latin word, I think. Anyway, here's why God is in this whole thing. Uh-oh. That sounds a little bit blasphemous. You know, sometimes when we're up to no good and then we, we try to pin it on the Lord, you know, I, I think the Lord uh, will be careful with that. And Isaac said to Jacob, one writer said, the Lord, <laughs> uh, Jacob here made the Lord his accomplice. Ouch. And Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. Now, can you see the beads of sweat starting to come down on Jacob? He's already got the suit on, right? <laughs> He's already got all the hair on. And now dad says, come close, my son. He's like, <laughs> Get a breath mint really quick. I want to see whether you're really Esau, my son, or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother. Man, Esau must have been a hairy dude. Like his brother Esau's hand, so he, what? He blessed him. But notice, there's still some hesitation. He said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, line number three, I am. One final lie, I am. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. He also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and he said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Isn't it interesting? Jacob betrayed his father. With a kiss. Doesn't that sound familiar? There's another man who betrayed somebody else with a kiss. Now, the blessing. May God give you the dew of heaven. Now, Dad goes into action. Here, he's going to give the formal blessing, calling upon, invoking the blessing of the Lord. May God give you the dew of heaven. Uh, three kind of uh, parts of this blessing. The dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, the abundance of grain and new wine are all part of what would be a prayer for material abundance. Um, you could write down Deuteronomy 33, 13. Uh, listen to Psalm 133, verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanding the, commanded the blessing life forever. Hosea 14 verse 5 says, I will be like the dew to Israel. Hosea 14 5. He will blossom like the lily. He will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. So much of the scriptures has this picture of dew being the blessing of material prosperity. 
Second blessing, many may people serve you. Nations bow down to you, verse 29. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons, grandsons too, I would imagine, bow down to you. But then he says, cursed be those who what? Who curse you. This is a reiteration of what was uh, said to Abraham in Genesis 12. And blessed be those who bless you. May people serve you. Second part of the blessing, may you have dominion. Here it is. May you get material abundance from the hand of the Lord. May you have um, uh, prosperity in terms of leading people. May you have dominion over other peoples. May they bow down to you is the second part of the prayer. And he says, now it came about, verse 30, as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. The third part of the blessing is, of course, uh, may... Uh, may God give blessing to those who bless you and curse those who curse you. The third part of the blessing is protection from God. Protection from God. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had hardly gone out of the room that his brother came in. He's like, let me get this stuff off, put it in the fireplace, right? Just barely snuck by. And now the bombshell is about to fall on the tent of Isaac. He also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat his son's game that you may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And dad was like, wait a minute, hold on. You, you're who? Dad was like, I'm full, man. <laughs> I just had a great meal. You, you want what? You, you brought what? Who are you again? He said, I'm, I'm your son. I'm your firstborn. And Isaac, Bible students, Christians, mark this. Isaac trembled violently. Isaac's response was one of fear. Violent trembling. I ask you, just, just park here for a second. Why do you think Isaac was trembling? You know, there's an old hymn that says, sometimes it just makes me tremble. And I think all of a sudden, Isaac had a realization. Have you ever had a moment in your life where circumstantially things were going on and maybe you were manipulating some things and you were even sounding spiritual about it and all of a sudden you were confronted with the reality that God had superseded your manipulation and you went, apparently God is involved in the small details of life and things that happen within tents. Because all of a sudden, I've realized something. God has intervened here. And he's even somehow used, not that this is to any credit of anybody here, used the manipulation within this family. And he said, well, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of it before you came and blessed him? Yes. What does he say? And he shall be blessed. Oh, Dad, you already know because you already were asking. You said the voice sounds like who? Jacob. Do you think in his heart of hearts, Dad had like a little suspicion? Maybe. At least he had some questions. And now, oh, Dad knows. He knows. And he's trembling violently. He says he's going to be blessed. You see, this trembling wasn't just about, oops, I got duped. 
I think this was about the recognition that God had interceded and kept his word. The older will serve the younger. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, it makes me tremble. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? Where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, listen to this, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and him or he who trembles at my word. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. And Isaac was trembling. And Isaac said, look, you could put it this way, for 137 years I've been fighting God. For a long time, I've been trying to find a way to give you the blessing, but I've been fighting the will of God. Some 137 years, I'm going to ask you, how long have you been fighting the will of God? Have you had a moment like this where even when you tried to work it out, God still superseded those plans and said to you, listen, my will is going to be done. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Look, I blessed him and he's going to be blessed because this is God's will. Do you know it is God's will to bless you? God is not against you tonight. He's for you. You are his chosen. You are his beloved people. He wants to bless you, not curse you. Bless you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, it will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. This is verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Now when Esau heard the words, verse 34, of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry. I'm sure it was heard all over the land. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. And he said, your brother, that brother of yours, he came deceitfully. He's taken away your blessing. Can you hear Esau scream? Ah! Then he said, Is he not right, rightly named Jacob? He's a, he's, a, he's a deceiver. He's a heel catcher. That brother. For he has supplanted me. That means he's cheated or deceived me these two times. He took away my birthright. No, Esau, actually, you gave it away. You gave it away for a, a, a bowl of soup. It might have been hungry man's or hearty man's. It might have looked good, but still, come on, really? And behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? You see, Esau had to take ownership of his own uh, actions here. He was culpable. But Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him your master and all his relatives I've given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine, this is the essence of the blessing, I have sustained him. Now as for you then, you might want to say this as a Jewish person, person what can I do? <laughs> what can I do, my son? I don't know. There's nothing left. I, I gave him the blessing. 
He's got the blessing. And Esau is not happy. But there's been a change in Isaac, and I think Isaac has said, you know what, God's will be done. He's accepted God's sovereign plan instead of resisting it. And Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. So Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. I don't know how long he cried. I mean, this is a man's man right here. Esau, he was tough, but he's weeping. Now, everybody turn to Hebrews chapter 12, all the way towards the back of your New Testament. And I ask you, do you think the tears, well, let's, let's just say, the tears are real, but what's behind the tears? Have you ever seen someone cry crocodile tears? You ever seen someone crying and you're like, man, that's, those tears are about as empty as empty can be. I think they're probably more like bubbles. <laughs> they're going to fly away. You ever seen someone try to make a public apology and try to act like they were sad? <laughs> You're like, oh man, that's phony. Are you impressed by those people who can cry on demand? <laughs> the tears starts coming. Those people really worry me, actually. Oh, Esau's tears, I don't doubt that they're real tears. But here's what the Bible says, and this is what we need to learn from. Hebrews 12, 15. Here's the warning. See to it, 12, 15, Hebrews, that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, that's chapter 27, Genesis, he was rejected, for he found no place for what? Repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Esau had a moment of realization, but not a moment of repentance. And there's a difference. You can have moments of realization without moments of repentance. Do you know the difference? Here's the realization. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. I lost the blessing. Instead of repentance should have been, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. I've been distracted. I've married Canaanite women. I gave away my birthright for a bowl of soup. I'm a godless man. I'm an immoral man. And I need to get right with you. Oh no. All he was worried about is what he lost. Not what God was actually trying to say to him. There's a difference, brothers and sisters. It's possible to have a pseudo sadness, but it's only for what you lost in the deal, not for what God is trying to actually say. And we're warned in this section not to be like him. You know, when something comes our way and God makes us tremble, he does it so that we might take a look at our own hearts and say, Lord, I want to live the way you want me to live. Back to one chapter to Hebrews 11. Yet Isaac is honored in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, verse uh, 20. And my Bible is actually ripped right at that place. Can you believe that? When he was dying, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things, what does the Bible say there? Of the future, not yet seen. 
Isaac's honored for giving the blessing, but I think this is the context. Once he's come to the realization that he was supposed to bless Jacob and not Esau, that's where his faith is honored, not for all the other convoluted stuff. Back to Genesis 27, we'll finish. Genesis 27. So, what does Isaac have to say to Esau? Here's how he shares what's going to happen with him. Verse 39, Genesis 27. Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, to Esau, Behold, 2739, Away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling. Away from the dew of heaven, the opposite of the blessings of Jacob, the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. And so the special status of Jacob, who will be renamed Israel, was his alone. And uh, Esau, from which the Edomites spring, the Edomites ended up becoming servants in King David's household. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 8. And the Edomites served Israel, and Edom served Israel. And that's the essence, Bible students, of Romans chapter 9. The controversial chapter about Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, is all about these two nations. It's really not necessarily a chapter about salvation as much as it is about the nation of Israel and God's sovereign choice of the nation. Everybody with me? That's how this all fits together, and it all ties back to these chapters in the book of Genesis. So Esau, this is not hard to figure out, bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing, verse 41, with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning my father are near. He thought he was going to die too. Then, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau held a grudge. That's what Hebrews 12 says. A root of bitterness was in his heart, and it stumbled many people, including himself. And when a root of bitterness gets in our heart, it springs up just like a, a tree, and it has many branches. And that's why we need to deal with the root of bitterness, not just cut off the top. And so, now when the words of the elder son Esau were reported to, Jebec to Rebekah, she seems to hear everything. <laughs> She sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. That's how he's going to make himself feel better. He wants to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise and flee to Haran. Just, you might want to write in your Bible. That's Mesopotamia, a long way away, to my brother Laban. Here's the famous Uncle Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides. Right in your margin next to verse 44, it wasn't a few days. Jacob was there for 20 years. And get this, he probably never saw his mother again. Wow. We think, oh, well, she got away with it, right? Maybe she was even thinking, I'm doing this for high spiritual reasons. And it is quite possible, even probable, she never saw him again. And the conniver got connived by Uncle Laban, remember? Oh, we're going to see the story. Uncle Laban does to Jacob what Jacob did to Esau. Because whatever we sow, we... Yep, we reap it. Until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him and ultimately there will be a healing between these two brothers. 
and I shall send and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these from the daughters of the land, what good will life, my life be to me? I think this is her excuse for sending Jacob away. Let's go get him away from the family. And so uh, I think that's how these link together. And uh, I want to take you to 2 Timothy 2. I'm going to ask Pastor Chris to come up. 2 Timothy 2, verse 10, and we're done. We're going to read a couple hopeful verses about God's sovereignty, and we're done for tonight. I'm just going to ask you what lessons have jumped off the page for you tonight. What things do you want to learn? What adjustments do you need to make? What hope can you find in the overarching sovereignty of God? 2 Timothy 2.10 For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, 2 Timothy 2.10, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with it and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, statement. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, we'd expect to see something opposite here, but notice what we get. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Father, in Genesis 27, we see that you are faithful. Faithful to the end. Faithful even to work together for good, a mess like this that happened in the tent of Isaac. You are good. Your loving kindness endures forever. Thank you that you have... uh, chosen to direct that loving kindness towards us who belong to you tonight. And those who are here tonight who are listening, maybe as unbelievers, maybe as those who are sitting on the fence, that your love has been directed to them as well, and they need to make a decision to follow you. And if that's you tonight, it's something very simple. Lord, I repent. Pray it right now if it's you. I turn my life over to you. I want to serve you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead. I trust in you and you alone for my salvation. Save me. Change me from the inside out. Change my life. Change my family. Change my attitudes, the way I live. And Lord, I just want to praise you for this precious church that serves you and shines the light and is out winning souls and telling the story of your glory, that you are the beginner and you are the sustainer and you will conclude the times. You are the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the Aleph Tav, the one who started it and the one who will finish it. And the Bible tells us that he who began a good work in us will complete it till the day of Christ. Amen. Would you stand?